Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Times Bureau Field Report. The Tommy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, it reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report and not the Comedy Bureau Field Report, which for the 182nd time I have to state that that is going to be a podcast. Um, if you like the Believe in it, I don't know. Email me at the Comedy Bureau Gmail and let me know. Uh, I'm going to guess you don't, uh, but maybe you like me doing this rigmarole at the top. But enough of that, and on to this week's uh, great guest, uh, CEO and founder of Don't Tell Comedy, one of the um, like biggest brands in stand-up comedy these days uh, with backyard shows stemming well over 100 cities around North America and officially now around the world. Please give it up for Kyle K.A., everybody. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you on. That's that's right, right? You abbreviate your last uh, name, K.A.? Yeah, when I got into stand-up initially, I didn't want to make people's lives miserable uh, uh-huh. like for the host, so I just went to Kyle K.A., but... Uh, yeah, I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't uh, hold it against you if you, you can't pronounce the full last name. Uh huh. There does seem to be a push over the last ten years uh, of a bunch of comedians, like, no, learn my name, learn how to say it. <laughs> I, I remember Hassan Minhaj. Uh, he when I first met him, he was like, "It's fine if it's Hassan or Hassan or." But uh, I think like somewhere like three or four years ago, he's like, no, actually, I think I want it to be Hassan. And, uh, you know, that's not that hard. Yeah, I mean, I never got far enough for anybody to care, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just I just wanted to make people's lives easier. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I will say Kyle K, that there's a certain like comedic ring to it. Like, <laughs> there you, go. you like say it on stage. Yeah, it's easier uh, than Kazan Emery, which is how you pronounce my last name. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Say it again. It kind of broke up. Yeah, it's hyphenated. It's Kazanjan Emery. Kazanjan Emery. That's not hard. <laughs> but I don't know if this has been your experience, Kyle, but uh, definitely comedy has shown me that some people did not learn how to read well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, especially like at open mics when they're hosting. Um, <laughs> I've seen people mess up Johnson. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, when I would host, that was like my biggest fear was getting people's name wrong, uh, especially if there are people that I looked up to. And, uh, you know, I would just be so embarrassed if I got their name wrong, uh, introducing them or got the wrong credit. So I made extra sure before every show to like ask people, how do you pronounce your name? Right. Um. You know, there's only a, a little bit of a cursory explanation as to the origin of Don't Tell on the website. But for the listeners, how I mean, is it really like as field of dreamsy as it sounds? Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, do I do we actually have that on the website that if you build it, they will come? No, you don't. Uh, yeah. You should. <laughs> that is that has always been my belief. I, I've thought about that. I love, it's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I thought so. The the origin was I was living in Los Angeles. I was producing a, a few shows. I had gone to some what great backyard. What's up? What year? Or how long ago? Oh yeah, sorry. So uh, I moved to Los Angeles in 2015. Mm-hmm. I was just starting to do open mics and realized that you needed to produce shows to get stage time in LA. Right. So I was producing a few different shows around town, um, just kind of crappy bar shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to names. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. Rush Street was one that I ran. I remember that. Yeah. That was in uh uh yeah, in Culver City. Yeah. Uh that was actually a lot of fun. Um and one thing I noticed just producing shows and going to a lot of other shows is that there were a lot of distractions at independent shows that were at bars or like other kind of random venues. Uh like people talking, people there that weren't for the show. 
um, very loud people making drinks uh, that just kind of like impacted everyone's experience at the show. Uh, and then I went to some some friends backyard shows. And I love that environment because everybody was there to see the show. They brought a six pack. It felt like a house party met a comedy show. Um, And so that experience felt like way more fun, even than going to the clubs where they had two drink minimums and it was just a lot more expensive. Um, Then I heard of, I heard of a company uh, called so far sounds that was doing pop-up intimate concerts in people's living rooms and backyards. So I saw what so far had done and I loved that they had just like created this brand around these kind of pop-up experiences. And I thought that it would totally work for stand-up because I had seen it, just I'd seen it poorly organized um, before. So I, I thought uh, I'll give this a go and came up with the name of Don't Tell, uh, mostly because uh, similar to so far, we don't announce the lineups. We don't announce the location, you know, the neighborhood. Uh, so if you get a ticket and it's in Santa Monica, at noon, the day of the show, we send out the actual location, which is an art gallery that's down the street. Um, and, and, you know, similarly to those experiences, you bring your own drinks um, and you get to see, you know, six or seven different comedians in an environment where everyone is focused on the show. That was one of the most important things is you you get tickets. There's no people there that aren't there to see the show. Um, so you just, you know, get it's a different level of focus than at just like random shows around town um, that were at venues where there's people that aren't there for the actual comedy show. Right. That's uh that's great. Uh, and that, I mean, you're right about um, people being there for the show. I think it's so almost ironic that a lot of times at backyard shows, they're in a literal backyard and it's outside, which kind of like is counterintuitive to like the enclosed, like properly set up space of a club. But uh, it feels more intimate. Yeah, it totally like does. And if you like there's things that make backyard shows a lot better, like if there's even at least one or two walls uh, or like a fence or something that makes it feel enclosed, you can actually get really good, good laughs. And we found that when we've done, you know, filming our our sets for YouTube, some of our best shows have actually been outdoor shows. Right. Right. I mean, there. It, I mean, like you're, there's always something special about it, Um even though it's like in somebody's backyard, it's just that you can't really replicate at just uh, a typical bar, you know? Yep. Yep. It's this kind of underground experience that you hear about. And I thought it would be cool to make that type of underground experience just more accessible to people. Cause before, if you wanted to go to one of these backyard shows that was going on for the most part, you just had to know the comic that was running the show or you had to be friends of a friend but there was nobody really marketing these types of experiences to the general public. So what was your ethos when you figured out the sort of marketing aspect to it? That it's like, it's a brand, you know, that people recognize. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just started this, I got into comedy with no intention of starting a business. And even at the beginning, nobody does. It was like, yeah, it, nobody does. Exactly. And at the beginning, I remember we did this was like six months in. I went up to do a show in San Francisco and somebody like before the show, it was a classic San Francisco question. They're like, what's your business model? Mm-hmm. And I was like, w- we weren't even charging for tickets at that point. Um, and you were not selling anything at the shows. So, you know, I was like, well, <laughs> comedy has been the, uh, you know, the traditional way that people talk about comedy as a business is it's the business of selling drinks Mm -hmm. and we just completely eliminated that from what we do so it's like this isn't a business right now we're just trying to put on really fun shows and create this community and at the beginning didn't know anything about marketing so it was all just like building an email list and because it was free just getting as many people as possible to to sign up um and then once we started getting 200 rsvps for a 40 person show in somebody's parking lot right. um it was like we have to start charging so that we can control the capacity so that we don't run into 200 people showing up for a show where like only a quarter of the audience could fit in the space right um how how quickly did that happen was that like in year one of doing that yeah it was it was like uh probably like the fifth show is is maybe when we started charging 
for right. tickets. Um, so I guess maybe in San Francisco at that point, we were probably charging like $15. Yeah. Um, but in LA initially it was, yeah, it was just free sign up. We messaged people through Facebook messenger, the address. Uh, and for the longest time, even we would just, everything was manual. We'd send emails to everybody with the location of the day of the show. It would go to their spam folder. They'd reach out being like, I haven't gotten the address. Right. <laughs> and it was a and huge pain. you doing it or did you actually have a team at this point? No. Yeah. I had a couple people, uh, friends that were comics that were helping out like at the beginning and just kind of scrapping it all together. Um, learning, learning as we went. Uh, which is just the best way of doing anything. It's just like, I, you know, I didn't know anything. The only way, Kyle. <laughs> I think it's the best way, like throwing yeah. yourself into the fire. Right. Um, like I've never been to business school. I don't no. know these like uh, very formal textbook ways of doing things. You know, I needed to figure out how can I get 60 chairs into a Prius and right. like drive six hours up to San Francisco. <laughs> to be <laughs> and, fair, I don't uh, think business school teaches you that either. It's they don't, but it's a very important skill. I mean, it's with anything like starting a business or being like an entrepreneur in any way, like, like you just got to be really scrappy and you got to be able to problem solve and like think on like, how do I just get this done? Um, and I worked in accounting before I started this, which is the opposite of of like what I do now, um, because it's very systematic and it's the same every day. Um, but what I love about this from the beginning, it's always been something new. You're problem solving you're trying to grow this thing and get creative to do so right how do you how do you pick your venues or find your venues it's funny it's like transformed over the years like in the beginning like the first show was at my co-worker's friend's backyard uh in silver lake and then it was then I thought about, you know, how can we do shows at local businesses so there was this clothing store that was down the street from where I lived and I like went uh, to the clothing store like three times I would like buy like a pair of socks every time I went and like try to talk to the owners sure. uh, and then eventually I mustered up enough courage to ask them like hey what do you think about putting on like a comedy show it was tiny it fit like 25 people uh -huh. um, but I you know felt really nervous just even talking to them asking to do a show there mm -hmm. um, did the show then what was easier is we had really good pictures to kind of share with other local business owners um, and be like, here's what it looks like. And, you know, we can have people come in and maybe offer them 10% off and they shop before the show. So with businesses now we'll like reach out to you over email, but even walking around town and just going door to door. I, I still do that sometimes. Um, uh, in our producers nationwide, we kind of have created a playbook of like how to sort of um communicate with with like local businesses or venue owners and um part of it is is a marketing exchange we're getting people into their space promoting their business to people that come and they host and um get to invite some friends to come for free and see a great show yeah and they they've enjoyed it yeah some people are like how much do we have to pay you to host and we're like it's free we're not going to charge you. <laughs> We're not going to charge you to host us. Um, so there's there's some people that really love comedy and want to be a part of like you know creating a fun event for for people and um, and then now also there's event spaces that will rent out if that's their business and they you know charge us an hourly rate. So uh, it depends on the type of space. Sure. How what was there like a some sort of milestone or turning point where you went from just doing backyards in LA to like over a hundred cities, uh, doing and now doing your first show internationally in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, well, Melbourne is actually our fifth or sixth fifth? international city. Cause we're in oh, Canada. We got oh. a few Canadian cities and then we got, um, London that's been going on for uh, a little over a year. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's been like a lot of moments where it's felt like turning points. It's up and down. It's a roller coaster. We we were doing great. And then the pandemic completely shut us down for nine months. So then it was just like survival mode. Um, but before the pandemic, we had done 800 shows in 2019. Um, and that was uh, across like 45 cities. Damn. And then getting things back, like going again after the pandemic was really hard. Uh, a lot of just like 
finding parking lots, uh, any outdoor space to do shows, separating the seats by like six feet. So, uh, you know, a, a venue in San Diego that we did a lot was like 250 people. Now, all of a sudden, it's 50 people because of the kind of regulations around that time. Right. So there was, a, you know, a large chunk of time where it was just kind of like grinding to claw back out of the gutter um, after being shut down. And then I'd say like maybe sometime towards the end of like 2021 it really felt like things were picking up and uh we started doing the video productions that helped us uh, to build our, our kind of brand and audience helped us to expand to other cities um and uh and now we're doing you know 3000 shows this year um which is nuts to me cuz I, I when i that is this, nuts it, it's, it's crazy. not nuts just to you I know it's, but it's weird. It all feels, it doesn't feel that crazy to me just because I've seen it all happen, but the numbers of like shows that we're doing just on a weekly basis is, is really, is really awesome. Um, and what I've discovered over time is just how many great local comedy scenes there are around the United States and, and even in other countries too. Yeah. Um, I never thought we'd be doing shows in Chattanooga. Um, when I was like starting this in LA, I just didn't know anything. Right. And then you meet people, you meet comics in other in other states, right. uh, cities, and they're like, "Yeah, we have a great great scene here." Right. So how do you uh, how do you facilitate sort of these like branches or satellites of don't tell? Um, you know where I mean three thousand shows happening a year. I mean, no venue does three thousand shows a year. You know, any single venue. It's a lot. I mean, yeah, it, it just comes down to, uh, you know, we're in 120 cities plus cities. Uh, that means that not every city needs to have a show a week for us right. to have that many shows. Right. But we have markets that, that are like, you know, like L.A. is like 10 shows a week sometimes. Columbus, Ohio is doing five shows a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so some cities are are much more frequent than others. Right. Um and uh, we just try to, you know, toe the toe the line between making sure there's enough demand, making sure we're not oversaturating, and doing too many shows in one place. Uh, so understanding each each city, um, and the and the kind of potential that they have. How do you figure that? You just track ticket sales and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's like the same as everything. It's just kind of like trial and error. Um, sure. If if we start up. Like Reno, Nevada, our first show, we had like 300 people. We, it was a big venue. We don't normally have venues that size. Our average show is like 70. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like, holy shit, that's a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, should we do, should we just try to go every week now? But I think part of what's special about Don't Tell is the infrequency of shows in some places. So you got to get tickets because it's going to sell out. Right. Um and uh, and that you know really makes it like a whole experience, right? You say the word special. That makes me. That reminds me. Like so, clearly that is part of the brand. And there's always a risk as be- becoming bigger and expanding, that that can like suffer a little bit. How do you envision like keeping "Don't Tell" special as it becomes like rivaling <laughs> like Comedy Central in terms of putting out stand up and stuff? Yeah, um, it it connects to your question, which I didn't answer from a second ago, which is like, how do we work with producers locally? Mm -hmm. So most of our shows are run by local comics in each city, and we kind of provide them with the resources to like get everything going. We buy all the equipment um, that people usually just store in their apartments. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we do all the marketing to sell out the shows. So they're really just focused on how do I put together a great show? And to answer your, your like, you know, question you just asked is like vetting the people that we're working with and making sure we're working with people that really care about the quality is the best thing that we can do. Um, and then like, you know, providing support, uh, whether it's, you know, when somebody gets started and they send us a list of like first venues that they're interested in, we're very carefully examining like the venues and just being like, okay, like this, this wouldn't work for this reason. Or like, oh, this is a great spot. I would set up the show this way to make it feel more intimate. Um, so, so yeah, the, the nice thing is like our producers who are mostly comics want to put on a good show. 
they're invested in making it a, a success. Um, so, you know, we just need to, you know, reiterate this stuff as we're getting people onboarded. We just had like a, a what we call the town hall meeting last night with all of our producers, just as a way to like check in and like, you know, share stories, mm-hmm. talk about things that have worked well. Um, and what's really cool now is like last night, it's like producers had some amazing ideas that like I, I de- never would have thought of um, for how to make the show even better. Um, so, you know, creating this community of producers is also another part of what we're trying to do. People that really care about putting on quality comedy shows. Yeah. When, when you say vet, what are you, is there a specific set of qualities or things that you're looking for? Yeah, somebody who's, you know, a solid comic uh, can can host shows. Um, most of the of the comics we work with are, are hosting each each show. Right. Um, so, you know, usually people who have been doing stand up for at least a few years uh, and are well connected within the scene, know who's uh, who's like, you know, good to book, who's who was not good to book. And, um, and people that just have like a good, it's a stupid term, but like vibe, <laughs> like to, <laughs> sure. to make sure that they feel like, oh, this is somebody when they're checking in people. Cause everything, every part of the experience is so important, um, to really nail. So it's like, is this somebody who like when checking in guests would be like, Hey, welcome to don't tell comedy. Like, have you been to a show before and, and create like a friendly welcoming environment, which adds to the, just like experience, um, for the audience. So there's a lot of different qualities we kind of look for. Right. Um, is the, uh, how many, so you had a town hall, how many hosts do you have now? Uh, so for that, it's totally optional. We're doing it every like three weeks now, just as a way for people to come and ask questions and talk shop. Um, last night, I think we had like 50 or 60 people mm-hmm. join out of the hundred and, you know, just almost just as many as cities as there are cities. So it's like, we have like 120 ish producers now that are, are running shows. Right. Uh, are you aware that people use don't tell as like a credit now, like comedians use that? I've seen it recently a few times and yeah. uh, it's funny. How do you feel about that? Well, it's cool. Cause I, I remember, I, I remember having this conversation with somebody uh, five years ago around like, I can't wait for don't tell to be a credit. Like I, I was, but I didn't know if it was going to come from like the video side. I didn't know we were going to do video stuff back then. Um, so now I think people look to us as one of the platforms to find the best emerging comedians uh, online. And so it is a, a legitimate um, credit now uh, that uh, I think, you know, because we curate, we're so thoughtful about curating the lineups and stuff. Like it is a big deal now to get on one of our, our tapings, which is cool. Right. What's the, uh, I'm, I'm assuming when you started, you were just booking like people you liked and your friends. Now that you're this, you know, institution and company, what goes into curating a lineup for a show, whether it be LA or Chattanooga? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One, uh, the, one of the hardest things early on was not booking my friends um, because, you know, I was still only like three years in. I don't do stand up anymore, but I, I did uh, until like 2018, 2019. Um, but yeah, like part of what's so important about Don't Tell, a lot of local shows, comics do this thing called spot swapping, which is like, yo, if you do my show, like, let me get on your show. Right. That was like the first thing that I was like, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're, we're just putting people on the lineup that are going to be great and put on a good show. We're going to mix up the lineup so it's not the same people every time. Right. So the first show we ever did, uh, we had, you know, Sam J was on the show. Right. She's now on SNL. Um and, uh, you know, we want to be the people that introduce you to the best of the next generation before they've really made it big and had a special on HBO and, and Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and like in terms of booking, like overall, like we we want to book diverse lineups, um, which means many different things. But like we don't want to have just all, all like, you know, straight white dudes on the lineup. 
Um, cause then you just hear sort of one perspective and with a, a community of people that are coming to the shows that represent, you know, all different groups, like it's great to have different voices, um, on each show. That's like, you know, very important to us. Um, especially like, yeah, so that's a big consideration. It's tougher in some cities, um, that don't have as big of a talent pool. And so it does mean like putting in a little extra work to pull people from, out of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately we want to just put on the best show possible, which I, I think comes from having a diverse lineup and then people that are just really funny. Right. I agree. So like in smaller markets, are you saying like, you'll like drive comics out or something or from like another city or scene? Yeah, we're doing more of that. Like in Columbus, we're actually bringing people from New York um, to headline. So we're kind of almost, uh, doing like a club weekend because there's like five shows a weekend mm-hmm. we're able to pay a competitive rate similar to like what the clubs would pay for for a weekend um and, and our goal is to try to do more of that mm-hmm. uh so we can create this kind of like independent touring network where we could give comics 30 weekends a year maybe of wow. of, uh, of of like solid paying uh work in front of good audiences and the other thing that's crazy about this too is like we don't ask them to promote Mm -hmm. so the unlike comedy some comedy clubs now and theaters and stuff where comedians are now forced to become their own promoter as well like the the clubs some clubs have some pull and are better about this but like a lot of clubs have zero pull Mm -hmm. um so they really just rely on the talent which is why they end up booking influencers who can just sell tickets and fill the room um but we don't care about that. So we're able to just book people that we think are funny and uh, we don't have to put the pressure on them to sell the tickets. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's the the hope and the dream, but you had to like put a lot of work in to build a mailing list that big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. How long do you, how long do you, would you say that you took to like build that sort of confidence to like, you don't have to promote just we want you on the show and we'll it was actually, that was, that's how it was from the beginning like we never asked uh we never asked people to promote so it was it was all about just building a brand that people trusted right. um and like you know word of mouth marketing is like our most that's like the most important thing for us uh is like just people telling their friends that yeah, you gotta check this out this is like a great experience um they had great comics right. so from the beginning that was that was what it was all about. We don't announce the lineups too. So it's, right. you know, people have no I, idea who they're going to see. Absolutely. Which is some mystery. And um, I mean, in addition to not knowing the exact address and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, how do you, now that you have video clips, how do you, um, how do you choose which, which ones get taped in or uh, put on the YouTube, which, I mean, they look great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's the, the one thing that, uh, that people don't understand, uh, with what we're doing is like how much work and resources we put into each of these tapings. It's not like we're just setting up cameras, um, and hoping for the best. We, we, we plan out tapings about once every two months and we do two shows on a Friday night, two shows on a Saturday night, two different venues. We have on 24 comics total, six on each show. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's doing eight to 10 minutes and we're like very thoughtful about the types of venues that we're choosing mm-hmm. um, going to some tapings that I've seen where like the venue has impacted the show and the audience um, and that's happened at some of ours too um, we're extra extra careful about making sure we pick a spot that's unique and interesting but also we're really works well for the live show um like i'm going tomorrow i'm in new york right now i'm I'm like going to check out a spot tomorrow that's like this really cool like library inside of a mansion Uh that we're considering Uh doing a show at um and uh, i'm assuming in brooklyn (laughs) you'd think so it's actually like upper east side oh i mean there's a bunch of old stuff in the upper east side yeah but we are doing one of the tapings in brooklyn uh just because there's like there's more space um so so yeah we're very intentional about that stuff we put a lot of energy into making sure um, that we're picking good spots, uh, obviously booking great comics. And then one thing that we do that I don't know anybody else that does this, I think it it really helps us um, 
is if a comic doesn't like their set, we'll throw it out. Uh, they don't need to explain to us why, yeah. uh, but uh, we'll we'll have them back on another time. And we don't want to put out a set that a comic's going to be like, ah, you know, I just I hate that set. Uh, and uh, and so we we want uh, everyone's experience to be a positive one, even if it requires putting an extra work on our end. That's amazing to hear because I know I won't necessarily name names, but I know there are like sets of stand-up that have been broadcast on tv that the comic didn't like but they just added canned laughter yeah yeah and they yeah i mean i think that's what separates us too is like a lot of tapings are you know people hire an outside agency to fill the room it's free tickets like our tapings are people paid to get tickets to see the show they're like part of the don't tell community and they're like invested in having a good time um another thing you learn in producing shows is like free shows are worse shows because the audience doesn't really care about being there yeah uh, they haven't invested no... anything really yeah um so like we we work really hard to make sure the live show experience for tapings feels like a live show and not like some superficial uh thing which is hard it's a hard balance when there's like six or seven cameras floating around sure and i mean people clearly <laughs> see them yeah yeah um do you have like a cheesy warm-up or something no you don't <laughs> like a warm-up for the uh, tapings yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no uh we have a great comic uh brad Silnitzer, who hosts all of our tapings oh, um, you know me and brad went to college together oh i didn't realize that yeah we went to usc at the same time he was a cinema business major and i was in film uh, actual like cinema major Oh, that's that's so funny. Yeah, he's been a friend. He was a roommate of mine for a couple of years and like just a great comic and host. It takes a really particular skill set to be good at hosting. And um, he is just so good at it. So we have him host all of them. That's great. That's great. I've noticed this in in tapings. There is like uh, almost there seems to be an insistence on having sort of a cheesy warm up or like uh, I don't know, even like an AD, like go up there and say some rules and get like fake laughs out of out of people. And uh, there are plenty of tapings I go to where they don't do that. And those tapings tend to be better. Well, what's funny is I think so we did uh, we filmed before the pandemic, we filmed Danny Jollis's first special, which is great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, our first time doing it. <laughs> and we did the thing where like at the beginning of the show, like, Hey, we're going to try to capture some laughs in case like, you know, we need to like juice some sections and like having people like, it was like one, two, three laugh. We did that one time and we're like, we're never doing that again. That was so so weird. Yeah, It's never not fake. It always sounds fake. Yeah. 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 Sucks. Um, But that was just a funny thing we tried once and then never did again. (laughs) Only at one of the tapings out of six, right? Yeah, yeah, we filmed six different venues. It was at the first one, which was at a gym. Uh, I, I remember it so well. Uh, yeah, I was just like, well, that made the energy so weird in the room. Right. And I I mean, you and I both know Danny. There's a, I, I can't imagine Danny not doing well, you know? I know. Yeah, no, it's so true. I, he's one of those people who any single setting you put him in, he's going to crush. Mm-hmm. Um when we do like corporate gigs and stuff, he's like usually the first person I call because he's just such a pro um, and can, can do well clean, can uh, perform in a church, could perform in an art gallery. It doesn't matter. He's going to just have a great set. Right. Right. Absolutely. I remember the first time I, I, I think the first set that he did in LA, I was witness to because we were at a uh, ooh, really sparse open mic uh <laughs> at not the original tribal cafe but their uh off forgotten second location which was literally five minutes away from the first one <laughs> yeah it was uh it was it was it was bad and um he was wearing a, a redskins jacket not <laughs> the washington football team yep yep yeah and it was me and like two other older comics and then uh you know no audience and he still did well yeah He's he's a beast. So let's do some comedy news. Let's do it.
this is kind of fortuitous considering you're uh, in New York. Um, Second City is uh, about to open uh, at their New York location, um, which is great to hear considering <laughs> that their LA location uh, chose, like located at the, I think, poorly chosen place of Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Uh, has closed uh, sometime during quarantine. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that w wasn't going to reopen. And uh, as far as I know, the Chicago and Toronto was the only places that they were. But I, I mean, for something that's so legendary and is still such a big deal out in those two cities, um, it should definitely have a home in LA and New York. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, turnover and things that were going to happen and didn't happen in terms of New York venues. Uh, so second city opening its doors and UCB having a New York location as well uh, in this coming year um, is good, good to know and good to um, see. What do you like? How do you see don't tell sort of like, fitting into the comedy like uh ecosystem in terms of like venue bigger venues and pro like comedy venues um, yeah yeah well i think the fact that i mean the reopening is awesome it speaks to how hard it was after the pandemic during the pandemic whenever ever had to close down um i know the la location for ucb reopened and has been open for about a year now but it yeah, really yeah, took a long sunset time location closed yeah. yeah um so yeah that's that's awesome that they're going to be back up and running and have new york locations because mm -hmm. they, yeah they're a big part of um the comedy ecosystem i know a lot of stand-ups take classes there usually when they first move to one of those cities right. um yeah our our whole thing is like we don't see comedy clubs as competitors. We don't see UCB or um, Second City as competitors. Mm -hmm. We think that um, one of the cool things about like Don't Tell Comedy is that a lot of people will come to our shows at their first time going to a comedy show. Mm -hmm. And so we're expanding the comedy market uh, and bringing new people into the fold and hopefully giving them an amazing experience so that they not only come back to our shows, but that they go to clubs and see a comedian that they really loved at one of our shows, um, you know, follows the comedians on social media. We send a follow-up email after every show with all the comics, social media handles, and even you can tip uh, comedians through like to their Venmo. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we think we're very complimentary to uh, everyone else. Um, and it's not a zero sum game in, in my, in my mind. So it feels like everyone's success uh, is important and, uh, the key is just no bad shows. So as long as people are putting on good shows, then it's a good thing for everyone is, is kind of how I feel. Is there like uh is that on a bumper sticker or painted on a wall at don't tell headquarters, no bad shows, no bad shows. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just envisioning that. And then you like slap it on the way out of the office or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. We have to do that. When we get an office, we'll have, we'll definitely have that. <laughs> oh, you, you see, so you still, I, I, with the scope of don't tell you don't have an office no office we're up to we have like eight full-time employees now um but we're all remote most are in la but we have a someone in austin somebody in new york but there's yeah, no need for, for an office yeah, just like our just like our shows it's like we don't want to lease a space uh yeah uh i think that's beautiful and that obviously cuts down on costs massively <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's how we were able to survive during the during the pandemic is we didn't have like a, a lease. You have a favorite coffee shop you meet up with don't tell staff at? Yes. Well, in LA it's Clark Street Diner, formerly coffee shop 101. How do you deal with the early closing time? It's uh, they close at nine, which I hate. Yeah, well, they were closing even earlier than that for a while, and then they started doing dinner. Um, I, I remember when it was 24 hours uh when I first moved to LA, but it's they've got great like coffee i think the food like they've kept the vibe the same which is good yes. like they didn't change the the interior at all and they did make the food better and they did make the coffee better it is 
you know, more expensive now, but I try and have, I try to have all my meetings there. It's also a walking distance from where I live. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Next item of news, uh, the New York Comedy Fest, which is coming uh, November 3rd to November uh, 12th or no, 13th. Yeah. And it's because it's 10 days. They just announced the full scope of their lineup, which they do, you know, as they do every year, they have over 100 shows through all five boroughs. They have like their big headliners, which will play like, you know, uh, MSG um and then well the for those that don't know there's a lot of shows that already happen in new york that just have their new york comedy festival edition which is mostly putting on the logo of the new york comedy fest uh on their show but if it gets people out to more people out to see comedy that haven't seen comedy i think that's good they have over 200 comedians that i don't have I think we got to get Kyle out of here. So I don't have time to say them all as fast as I could say them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of those festivals that's so big that kind of like SF Sketchfest, they don't have a pass. There is no pass because there's just, they can't fathom having like a thing that you would pay an exorbitant amount of money for and that that grants you access to all the stuff because it's just so much. But um has don't don't tell become part of a festival have you played a festival yet yeah we were part of the new york comedy festival last year and i think we're doing it experience no we did Ten Thousand laughs in minneapolis one year um we're actually going to start our own festival in in san diego in november and wait wait to bury the lead kyle near the end here <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're kind of experimenting with it uh you know different formats but my my hope would be that the festival we can make it kind of unique and different and then also take it to other cities so we could have maybe four or six festivals a year in different parts of the country where we have a strong community of of people and um you know just make it a really fun experience for comics and audiences. Awesome. How was uh your time at New York Comedy Festival last year? Uh, I wasn't there for it. Uh, our producer, Laura Soger, um, ran the show. Uh, but like you're saying, you know, they have a lot of shows that I think are going on um, in New York all the time and they make it a part of the fest. And it's a I feel like it's a great moment where they're able to shine a light on so many great comedians and um, and shows that, that go on in New York because uh, it's just like an insane amount of comedy that happens here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I will. There are. I will say that New York does have more shows almost to the point where like, uh, you know, is it too many? That's what I wonder sometimes. People seem like people are showing up. I've, I've been going to a ton of shows the last, I've been here for a month. So I've been going to a ton of shows. Um, which shows have you got? Which shows have I gone to? Yeah. I've gone to Sesh. Uh, yeah. I've gone to the Barbershop show. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's at the Barbershop. It's, it's yeah. a great show. Mm-hmm. I've gone to a bunch of the clubs um new york comedy club cellar going back to the cellar tonight um and uh and the stand is great like the cellar i know is opening um a huge location like across the street so they're adding another room they have i think they have four going already Uh it's just crazy the the uh the tourism the tourism here i think really drives a lot of um the demand for these shows and these long-standing institutions have just like built up such a strong brand um where the seller can just sell out every single show it's it's wild but it's great because comics are able to do so many spots in a night um maybe don't need to tour as much to make a living where it's harder in LA um or other cities so it's it's really cool and I feel like in New York there may be more of a community um than in LA um uh or or other cities just because of like you're walking around taking the train everywhere there's actually like really good places to hang out at these clubs mm-hmm. um which is cool so i've i felt i felt really um excited by that and i, I appreciate the new york scene uh, in that way that's a always kind of undervalued thing is that hang after you know um yeah and some cities like san francisco um I was talking with Joey Avery about this, like the punchline up there, they have like the Sunday showcase and 
for comics coming up in San Francisco is a place where you could just go hang out every week and you see everybody and it's a cool thing and it's exciting when your name gets called to go up. Um, not every city has that, but the ones that do, I feel like you can tell that there's like a strong sense of community there amongst like the comics, um, which, which is so important to develop like a, a healthy, strong comedy scene when you, they support local comics and not just touring headliners coming through town. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want it, like if you want your place to have this, uh, be like a cultural, point for comedy in a scene uh it should be like a place where if a comic is thinking about like where to go in a given evening if they if they are not booked on something maybe they could just automatically assume oh i'll go to this place yeah yeah like denver and atlanta and boston have really good um scenes and part of it is really supporting the local like comics there um other a lot of other cities too but those ones like come to mind as like being really really strong um i think that's going to cover news for this episode i want to i guess close on one last question what is uh what i won't say the, like the definitive but what's like one don't tell show that uh always sticks with you and like how magical it was or i don't know how wild and crazy insane it was yeah um all right i got i'll give you two answers great um for each of those uh variations so memorable show um there is this <laughs> it's funny a lot of it it's like it ends up being some of the earlier shows that we did there's been so many great shows right. but there was one show that we did in boston that was in a basement in alston that was like about to the building was about to collapse i mean we're we're more picky about venues now and <laughs> making sure like it feels uh like the ceiling isn't going to collapse but it was this place in alston that was just this like dingy basement and maybe packed 50 people in there and the comics heads were almost touching the ceiling um but it had such great energy and i just remember that feeling like such a cool experience because everyone coming in was like what is this <laughs> and all of a sudden they're in this basement seeing like these amazing you know comics and the crowd was just particularly hot that night um so uh you know i remember that one very well uh and then one of the crazier stories this is again from early on is we were doing a show in mountain view in uh northern california and uh the my producer uh, up there called me. I was in Denver and he's like, hey, just showed up and the venue's locked. The person's not picking up their phone and I don't know what to do. And so I was like, well, shit, we're kind of screwed. It's an hour before. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had the list of people who were coming to the show is about 50 people uh, and their phone numbers were there. So I just started calling people and just explaining the situation, apologizing, letting them know that they were, we were, would refund them and we'll give them free tickets to another show. I get to the fifth person on the list and they're like, well, I live down the street and I'd be down to host in my living room <laughs> if you guys got over and, and still do the show. Uh -huh. And recalled the people that I had uh, <laughs> called and then called everyone else to explain the situation and we ended up still doing the show just down the street at one of these people's houses. And we said, we'll refund you um, even if you want to show up. But if you want to show up, we're going to do the show. And like 35 people show, showed up uh, and, and they still did it. And it was it was it was a success. Wow. <laughs> that stuff, you know, we're, we're much more buttoned up now. Right. Um, and uh, that stuff rarely, rarely happens. But uh in the beginning, you know, we learned, we learned through our mistakes. Now we follow up with all the venue owners the week of before the show to make sure we're good to go. Uh, but that was a classic, uh, early days, um, DTC story. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, but that's like beautiful, you know? Yeah. It was, it was, uh, you know, so it's that type of stuff is just so fun. Yeah. It was like, uh, the first episode of the late, late show with James Corden did that. They like went around, uh, 
the neighborhood next to CBS Television City, and they just asked if they could do the show at their house. It's <laughs> awesome. So they brought like Reggie Watts and Tom Cruise <laughs> into somebody's house. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, lovely. Uh, I'm glad we got to chat finally. I know that we're busy writing like big, big comedy things. Yeah, and congrats and thank you for everything that you're doing. When I was doing open mics, I'd go to the Comedy Bureau every day and and see what mics were going on. So you're extremely helpful in my comedy journey and, and just getting started. Yeah, glad to be a service. And that's why it's like 13 years come next month. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, yeah congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so where can people find uh, you online or more info about Don't Tell? And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Like, I don't know, a festival? <laughs> yeah, just the Don't Tell website, donttellcomedy.com. My Instagram's Don't Tell Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're doing tapings in New York mm-hmm. on the 6th and the 7th of October. Mm-hmm. Williamsburg and one will be on the Upper East Side, hopefully at this library, pending my conversation with them tomorrow. <laughs> right. Oh, you're seeing whether a uh, roof will cave in or not? Exactly. Gotta check the roof uh, and then gotta see if they have air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's important. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, great. Well, I, uh, I'm i Jake Kroger. I created The Comedy Bureau. You can find The Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at The Comedy Bureau across social. So you can find me on Instagram at Not the Supermarket, on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. So many great causes to support at this time. I'd ask that you please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support The Comedy Bureau to keep it running. And do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Kyle? Thanks for having me, man. This, this is great. Great to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, live comedy is happening as it is like 3,000 shows a year with Dotel and as the great Brody Stevens would say enjoy it the Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger music by Brian Granillo artwork by Andrew Delman and KT and part of the Believe podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.